on this episode of the C4SO podcast. God is continually pouring out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The Ignatian tradition would even say that God is continually creating me through his love, like ongoingly. And so it's always available to us. And I just think our primary posture and participation with God is, how can I notice and pay attention to the way that you're loving me? I don't think it's the practices that do the transforming work in us. I think the practices disposition us to the face and the heart and the love of God, and that's the thing that changes us. Hi, I'm Mickey Lowe. Hi, I'm Bishop Todd. And welcome Welcome to to the the C4SO podcast. Podcast. Well, Bishop Todd, it's great to be back with you for the second season of the C4SO podcast. Great what? to see you. We're veterans yeah. now. We're veteran co-hosts now. Yes. We got a, we got a season under our belt. I guess we got to get our act together here. Yes, I know. We'll try to do our best this time around. But today we are kicking off the second season of the podcast, and we are starting off strong with a series on ordinary time. We're focusing on discipleship. Bishop Todd, why don't you tell our listeners who we're talking to today? Yeah, Jared Boyd's a fairly new friend. Uh, We've known each other for two or three years now. He's in uh, the Vineyard Churches. But he recently came out with a book uh, of which I wrote the forward to called Finding Freedom and Constraint. And I thought we had a very interesting conversation about this counterintuitive notion that constraint actually leads us to freedom. Yeah, I I really enjoyed our conversation with Jared. I think he helps us think a little bit more deeply about what Jesus is inviting us to in each phase of our lives and what we miss out on when we don't stop to consider the work that God is actively doing in us. And so please enjoy this conversation with our friend, Jared Boyd. Jared Boyd, good to see you on my screen. This is a treat. It's great to be with you. And I'm glad you get to meet Mickey. Mickey's the real rock star here, in case you know. If you want to show deference to anybody here, it's Mickey. It's not me. Okay. (laughs) I do do what I can, but this is a fun time, so we're excited to have you. It's great. It's so so great to be here. So, Jared, we always like to start with some fun things, so so be as free as you want to be and tell us something that you really stink at that you secretly wish you were good at. Like, I would love to be Usher or something, you know? Like, I wish I could dance. What about yeah. you? What do you? What do you stink at that you really wish you were good at? I am a terrible singer. And <laughs> really? I mean, terrible. So much so that uh, my girls, you know, even even during worship, sometimes they'll come and say, "Hey, Dad, you should be quiet." <laughs> <laughs> and you know, Mickey's a worship leader, so oh, you are. Yeah, I'm a terrible yeah. singer, and I, my my two oldest girls in particular. Um, mm-hmm. have beautiful voices. They're both uh, okay. you know, tra- trained vocalists in some regards. And um, and so I'm just, I just can't compete. And I, I so you can't, wow. sing in, you can't sing in the car and harmonize with no. your girls. No. So oh, I, how long I, have you? I do. I do do that, but it doesn't sound great. <laughs> so I'm curious, Jared, then how long have you lived with this awareness? Because I feel like some people don't know that. Oh, you Mickey. know, that's not a strength yeah. of theirs. And yeah. then some people are really self-aware for like their whole life. So I'm curious. I think for most of my life, like I was a theater kid in, in high school and okay. um, had a couple solos and found out pretty quickly that it takes me a <laughs> lot of work to be mm. able to to sing. So I can do it. I mean, I think most people can if you get some training on right, the right. thing that you have to do. 
Yeah, um, I agree. So I was in Guys and Dolls in high school, and I remember working so hard to not flub up. So I've known for a long mm. time. Let's just say that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's, That's so, great. so funny. Yeah. Oh, good to have you, Jared. Um, most of our listeners would um, realize my past of uh, being president of Vineyard Churches, but may not realize our common connection there uh, through the Vineyard, and uh, but also your kind of common affection for Anglicanism. So say a bit about the intersection of Vineyard and uh, Anglicanism for you. Yeah, so I'm I'm a vineyard guy. I've been in the vineyard for almost 30 years now. So I, I walked into a vineyard church in 1994 when I was 16 years old uh, from the Nazarene tradition in which I came to faith in the Nazarene tradition. Um, mm-hmm. And at 16, I, I came into a vineyard church in Cincinnati, Ohio, and just got what, what I now know. I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And mm-hmm. so I've been in the vineyard for 30 years. Um, I'm not, I'm not an Anglican, but, um, I'm certainly Anglican curious and curious about how the work, some of the work that we're doing kind of trans transports in, into mm-hmm. your guys' space a little bit. So you've done a lot of work on the great tradition all the way back mm-hmm. to the early, um, mothers and fathers, but up to and including what we might now call today, sort of prayer book, spirituality, yeah. um, Anglican spirituality. So say a bit about that my introduction to that tradition would, would have been uh, probably around 2007 um, mm-hmm. is when I started pr- what, what your listeners would know as praying the hours yeah, or praying mm-hmm. the office. Uh, mm-hmm. I, that came to me through Phyllis Tickle's uh, work, yeah, um, the divine hours. And that was on the heels of, uh, again, what, what I now know was a pretty substantial deconstruction on my part um, mm-hmm. long before people were doing that. Um, I just sort of lost my faith mm-hmm. and it was a theological journey back, but then it was also a journey back through the contemplative tradition mediated by the the prayer book tradition. Yeah. So for mm-hmm. about a year, all I could pray uh, was the day of the office. And, mm-hmm. um, and there was a season where I, I did pick up the book of common prayer and that was uh, special to me for a season. So yeah, yeah, that's sort of what rescued my faith, actually, is wow. the, the yeah, prayer really cool. book tradition, as you call it. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Or yeah, or prayer book spirituality or yeah, something like that. That's really cool. I just wanted our listeners to hear the kind of intersection that you and I have, and um, we can talk more about the order for the common life in a few minutes. Yeah. Let's talk about your new book real quick, The Finding Freedom in Constraint. So some of us hear that and go, how can we find freedom in constraint, right? The, you know, your argument is that the constraints of spiritual life actually set us free. So can you tell us more about that? Yes. Uh, I remember when I was kind of workshopping that title for a while, I, I shared it with a friend and he's like, that sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. um, I guess I would start at a pretty high level and just say, I, I've come to believe that the primary thing in discipleship and formation in the Christian life is the experience of being loved by God. Um, I actually think that's really the only thing. And so even when we think about mission, I think formation is the mission. Um, And so, but what the early church fathers and the the tradition that I draw from in the monastic stream, what what they've taught us is that there are all kinds of things in the way of us comprehending or experiencing the love of God. So we grab on to, lesser things 
that kind of fill up our hands, fill up our hearts and our minds in a way that distracts us from what God is actually doing. Um, mm-hmm. So you think about Paul's prayer in Ephesians. He says, I, I pray that you would be able to comprehend what is the length and breadth and width and depth of the love of God for you, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. incomprehensible, by the way, is what he says, which is yeah. so fascinating to me. But what that means is what he's saying is like, your ability to comprehend this will be a participation with God Mm. because you cannot do it by yourself. And so then the spiritual disciplines, the constraints of the Christian life, uh, which we talk about in the book are what the tradition has taught us. How do we untether ourselves from the things that are getting in the way so that we can more rightly dispose ourselves to receiving the love and the grace of God in the everyday. So sketch, sketch something for us here that says, here's a constraint that one could practice that one might think could reliably lead to this sort of freedom. So, yeah. so give us a little sketch of, of what this looks like in real life. Yeah, and I, I love that you're, you're already framing this around how different this is going to be in different seasons of life. So one of the first constraints I talk about is the constraint of solitude and silence. And I talk about that as allowing our lives to be constrained to the present moment right now. Mm. And of course, that's going to look different for you, Todd and me and and Mickey. Um, And so it doesn't have to be just like that 45 or 60 minutes of, quiet prayer in the morning. Um, mm-hmm. My guess, Mickey, so Mickey, how, how old are your kids? So I, I have, that? yeah, yeah. I have a two-year-old son and then I have a daughter on the way due okay. like next month. So little, yeah. little kids. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so you're, imagine Jared, a two-year-old and a brand new baby. Yeah. 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 So that time period of like real quiet prayer, um, you might still be able to get that in little small doses, but right. Right. Um, Todd is in a very different season of life where where Todd probably has a lot more freedom. So the question Mm -hmm. is, how do we all practice this particular constraint? Mm -hmm. And what my experience is, is that if each person is leaning into this particular practice that that God will demonstrate how to, how to make that happen. And so Mm -hmm. it's the constraint of the present moment. And that's going to look, your present moments, Mickey, are going to look very different than my present moments. But the freedom that we gain is the freedom to rest. Mm -hmm. Is that if we can allow ourselves to be constrained to right now with some quiet and some presence, then the 10 other conversations that are going on in our brain right now, like we have to, we have to learn how to just deal with what actually comes up when we are quiet. In silence. I don't, I don't know how it works for you guys, but whenever I'm quiet and have some alone time, I feel like there's so much going on inside of me. So the invitation is really to just deal with what with what that reality is, is the reality that when we're quiet, even if it's for 15 minutes, we're going to have stuff raise up inside of us. And I'm inviting people to have a, a regular rhythm of getting present to all of that stuff through silence and solitude. A couple of things that I think would cohere with, you use the word rest, would be things like focus, um, peace, mm-hmm. right? So there are like aspects of how we experience rest, maybe groundedness, 
Um, mm -hmm. But your point is that it's constraints that get us to that beautiful freedom of things like rest, focus, peace. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we've all probably had those days where we wake up and we sort of start running and we don't stop until seven, eight o'clock at night. And you get to the right. end of a day like that and you're just like, I can't string very many days like that together. Mm -hmm. And, but it, in order for that to not happen, it takes some intentionality around building in some good rhythms and habits and, you know, the, all the stuff that we now know is at the heartbeat of spiritual formation. I know when I've run amok, Jared, when I get yeah. to the end of a day like that and try to practice examine at night mm. and I just feel like, oh my gosh, what part of that crazy day was I actually present to enough to right, even, right. I try to practice examine with Thanksgiving at the end of the day. Mm. And when I can't even recall everything to be thankful <laughs> for, you've done I so much. Yeah. I've run amok. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. And I think, and Jared, this kind of leads me to my next uh, question for you is, you know, so much of your ministry is about sensing the work that God is doing and, and sort of teaching others to develop that sense of awareness in their own lives and in the lives of others, especially those mm -hmm. of us who are in like church leadership or are disciples of other Christians, you know, what do we miss out on when we don't sort of implement these practices as much as we can in our daily lives? Because I'll tell you, like, I started working with a, a spiritual director last, this mm -hmm. past year and she has helped me so much to have those quiet moments and, and help me think deeply about what Jesus is inviting me to mm -hmm. in each phase of my life. And, and I feel like that's been really helpful for me because like Bishop Todd just said, I can, I can, my, my days will be full. And then when I'm forced to think about them, I'm like, I did so much that I didn't even, I wasn't totally present. So I think that's part of it, but what, what do we miss out on when we, um, don't stop to consider the work that God is actively doing in us and reflect on his past work too. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. Here's where I start. I came across something recently um, since you brought up Eugene, this is probably why it's coming to my mind, but I think it was his son Leaf at his funeral. He, he I guess, uh, had shared that Eugene basically had one message that, that, that God is for you, that he's coming after you. Um, that he loves you. And this is where I start sounding a bit like a broken record is that Mickey, the thing I think we miss out on is the experience of the love of God. Mm. So yeah. I think that, that God is continually pouring out his love into our hearts through the Holy spirit. The Ignatian tradition would even say that God is continually creating me through his love, like ongoingly. And so yeah, I think it's always available to us. And I just think our primary posture and participation with God is how can I notice and pay attention to the way that you're loving me, mm. God, uh, not just in the quiet moments, but in, in my marriage, in through, through my kids, through, through creation, through the food that I, that I eat. I'm, I love food. It's like one of my favorite things. And I sometimes feel loved by God by, by feasting, mm, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think what we miss out on is the love of God, which is the thing that transforms us. So it's, mm. it's, I don't think it's the practices that do the transforming work in us. I think the practices disposition us to 
the face and the heart and the love of God. And that's the thing that changes us. Mm, yeah, that's so good. When I first read this and Mickey and I were working on it um, the other day, getting ready for the podcast, when I um, saw that phrase of developing the sense of awareness of God, again, I, I say to my own shame, um, man, I tend to think of that in not like radically utilitarian ways or radically mechanistic, but I do think I think about it in practical terms. Like I want to be present to the people and the events of my life. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but what I hear you saying that's really lovely is that when we're practicing the presence, I don't want to put words in your mouth, sort of like rightly or bestly or something, what's really being firstly mediated to us is love, not something utilitarian. That's exactly right. right to like right. live life better, or for me to do my meetings better or whatever. This is not to throw shade on, on anyone in particular, but sometimes I get a sense in the spiritual formation tradition as it has sort of blossomed in the evangelical world that there is still a little bit of this, like, how does this help me live my life better mode mm -hmm. to what you're saying? And I think this is why I've been drawn back to the early fathers and mothers, because they weren't really concerned about that. Yeah. They were, mm -hmm. they weren't yeah. trying to figure out like, how do I like win? Yeah, um, they were they were really concerned about how do I yeah how do I have union with God? Mm -hmm. Did you say it was Ignatian or Jesuit this idea of God's creating? Those would be the same tradition. So so the Jesuits, oh, yeah, sorry. you know, okay. Yeah. So I love that because you know that's such a beautiful way to think about you know transformation. Like if we think of spiritual transformation, I think that's grown to mean over the last three or four decades, grown to mean certain things in certain communities. But do you see that notion of God's creating us in the moment as roughly synonymous with spiritual transformation? Or is it something, or do you think there are important nuances of difference? I mean, I certainly feel different than I did 20 years ago in terms of my life yeah. with Jesus. So that mm -hmm. means something new has happened. And so if something new has happened, it just seems like that, that God's, you know, or, or we, we could just go to like, he who began a good work in you will, will complete it. And yeah. so mm -hmm. it's like, there is an ongoing transformation that is happening where we are being forever enfolded into the life of the triune God. You know, mm -hmm. this is how the, yeah. the fathers would say it. Yeah, I think I'm wondering about the people for whom words like formation or transformation or spiritual transformation might either feel unaccessible or maybe a bit stale whatever but it feels like if like you just did if i rehearse my life it does feel like what i've been calling spiritual transformation is in a sense recreation new creation like mm -hmm. i am being made into something different so maybe this is just uh, a not so helpful play on words or semantics or something i guess i'm just thinking of it for the people who have not been able to access what you're talking about jared through the language of formation yeah. You might be able to access it through, as you said, Romans 5, 5. This is God pouring his love into my heart. And this is this is an aspect or what God's shooting for in this is recreation. Right. I'm just feeling that might be fresh language for listeners that would give them some access to what you're talking about. Yeah. And if I could add one more layer, um, I took a class with Father John Baer a few years ago, Orthodox theologian, and he he talks about his interpretation of the gospel of John, this idea that, that we are not yet quite fully human. 
mm-hmm. that, that, that we are actually in the womb right now. And I talk a little bit about this um, in the book as the church as the womb, and maybe this gets us mm-hmm. back on track about community. Yeah. Like the church is the womb of our formation in which once we cross into the other side, we are born a human being. Um, I, I, I don't know if I think literally that that's what's happening, but it's actually been a helpful framework for me um, to think about, oh, like the people that I'm in community with is like, these people are forming me in ways that does feel a bit like a womb. Mm, Yeah. That's so good. Okay. C4SO clergy. Let's be honest for just a second. When's the last time you stayed in a castle surrounded by jaw dropping scenery? Well, We're inviting you to do just that at the 2024 Clergy Retreat, April 24 through 26 at Glen Erie Castle in Colorado Springs. Our retreat facilitators, Barbara Peacock and Steve Macchia, will lead us in a nourishing time of soul care, including healing prayer and reflection. There will also be good food, time for naps, hello, hiking in the Garden of the Gods, and lots of fellowship. Register today at c4so.org to join us for a beautiful, peaceful retreat with all of your C4SO friends and family. You know, the angles that you come at with this, the the spiritual life and the importance of the spiritual life and practices and how they truly set us free, um, this is best practiced in community. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about why community is so vital, whether it's, you know, uh, the the church or a community of believers or a, a sort of monastic order, why is, is the idea of community so vital to our personal spiritual formation? Yeah, it's a great question. Thanks for leading us there. Um, if the whole job of spiritual formation is, which I, I believe is to teach us how to love as God loves, you cannot love alone. Mm. And so, yeah. um, you know, or we think about, you know, Jesus's instruction in John chapter 15, it's like, you know, remain in me and let my love remain in you and you will bear much fruit. Mm. Well, how is that you will learn how to love other people as I have loved you? And so we need, we need other people yeah. in our lives to even think about what formation is, is I think the first thing. And then the second thing yeah. I would say is I've just met very few people who can maintain any level of practice in the spiritual life by themselves. Mm. It's just so hard. I just, there's so many things that are bending our life towards things that aren't good for us that I just, I personally need other people who are practicing some of the same rhythms or some of the same practices to help keep me on track. I don't know what it's like for you guys, but that's how my life works. Totally. For me personally, you know, in, in the Anglican tradition specifically to like, the way that our worship is, 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 you know, practiced, you know, through the, the regular confessing and repenting of sin, the, the, the passing of the peace, like these ideas that we, these things that we do on a weekly basis for me, I have found that that shapes my day to day. It's not just something Mm -hmm. that happens once a week, but like you become sort of this this person that is formed by the rhythm of confessing, repenting of sin and, and passing the peace with your brothers and sisters. Like I found that in a lot of people 
um, that I worship with, the same has been true of them too. So I, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of an example of how doing things together in community before you even realize it, you, you are living these rhythms together. And the idea is that they shape your life outside of a worship service or outside of the time. We also need people that reflect back to us what we ourselves cannot see. Mm, um, yeah. Both in the um, the things that we can't see about ourselves that may be in error, as well as the things that we cannot see about ourselves that are just full of glory. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, both. And so like the chapter on this book on faults and affirmations is is about, you know, the affirmations part at least is like, where, where do we have spaces where we are naming out loud the good work of God that we see happening in other people? Not very few places can that happen, but with, a, with actually some framework and some intentional practice, you know, this has been such a gift to me because I, I tend to be a bit melancholy <laughs> and I mm. tend to... <laughs> be a recovering perfectionist, which means that my uh, yeah. natural disposition is to focus on the things that are not going well. And it's just harder for me to see the good. And so to have other people in my life that are able to call out the good in me, has just been yeah, really vital to my formation. Mm, that's so good. So Jared, keeping up on this uh, communal theme for a minute. So besides being the author of imaginative prayer and your newest book, finding freedom and constraint, you're also fomenting something called the order for the common life. So first give just a very brief definition about that because the follow-up question I want to ask is how do your ideas map onto what you know to be ordinary Christian lives? So first Mm -hmm. describe the order. Yeah. The order of the common life is our effort to reimagine what has historically been called religious vocations uh, into the 21st century. So most people have heard of the Franciscans or the Jesuits or the Dominicans. Mm -hmm. Um, We're trying to wonder what does it look like in ordinary life for that whole tradition to be reimagined? It's just true that since the early fourth century or so, there have been men and women who um, have had a particular call to uh, this kind of life in a, in a more kind of what we might say consecrated way or particular way, I should say. Um, but for the entire Protestant tradition, it has been mostly unavailable as a tradition to even think about. So like, yeah. if I'm not a Catholic, I can't join a religious order. Right. So we're trying, we're trying to change that. Yeah. And um, the order of the common life is an ecumenical worldwide order um, that we are inviting people to consider. And we have about a three to five year formation process um, at the end of which uh, we do have people actually right now, we have about 12 people who are in uh, discernment of first vows. So we're trying to do this really tightly knit to the tradition, but just bring it outside the Catholic church, and recontextualize it for our present day. So Jared, maybe thinking both about the order, but also just about the um, high-level conceptual ideas of freedom from constraint. You know, most people are not, in the same way it's true in the Catholic Church and in the Orthodox Church, most people aren't part of religious orders. Most mm-hmm. Protestants aren't going to be either. 
But I don't want that to mean, okay, then let's just set aside the wisdom of all these orders or right. the wisdom of uh, that's in the order for the common life already. So instead of that sort of knee jerk thing, well, this isn't for me, how to, you know, and then we set it aside. How would you encourage our listeners to say, well, here's how at least some of these things can map onto what we might think of as an, as an ordinary sort of churchly life. In other words, yeah. not a religious life, technically termed, but a churchly life where I just quote, go to my local church. How do I, like, how mm-hmm. do, how do you imagine ordinary people just beginning to map on some of this to their ordinary life? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'll, and then just to be, pretty candid. I think one of the biggest challenges that we face is that when I talk about this, it does sound like, man, this sounds maybe out of reach, so to speak. Um, yeah. This sounds a little esoteric or like, that's not for me. But anyone who first joined a religious order in the tradition um, came with a question of wondering if this is for me. You know, no one starts, mm. you know, you know, if you've ever read much of Merton, I mean, Merton was a mess when he went into the Abbey of Gethsemane. <laughs> mm. And so I think I would, I would offer what we're trying to offer is an invitation for people to consider, maybe this is for you. Mm. Um, Cause there are ways in which uh, this has just been a tethering instrument of the life of the church and the second thing I would say, as I've been offering this kind of analogy, um, it's going to feel like a bit of a, a rabbit trail for a second, but um, the, the local swimming pool in our city, one of the local swimming pools that was recently built is what is called a zero entry swimming pool, which means that it's one giant oh, yeah. pool, right? Mm-hmm. but at one side, it's like two inches and at the other side, it's 12 feet. Yeah. Yeah. And when I was growing up, there were like separate pools for the babies and the kids and then the big (laughs) person pool. But now they're all one big pool. I think one of the things that people tend to think is that the spiritual formation tradition is like another thing for mature Christians. Hmm. And I've come to believe that we should think of it more like a giant pool where people are at different depths Mm. of water. Yeah. But the water is all the same. And so, you know, if you can think of yourself as a, maybe a brand new Christian, maybe you are like ankle deep and you're just like trying to figure out how do I even pray the office or what is this book of common Mm -hmm. prayer that people keep talking about? Right. But then over time you're habituated by community to say, Hey, we're going to go a little deeper. We're going to do this thing or, Hey, we're going to go surf the poor. And you begin making your way around the pool, but it's all the same water throughout. And throughout the history of the church, it's just true that there have been people who have been, let's just say, playing water polo on the other side of the rope mm-hmm. <laughs> of the swimming pool. And you might, not, you might not even know that they that they exist, but they are making waves that create ripples throughout the entire pool. So if we think about even the, the praying of the office... Um, that is a tradition that was primarily held by monasteries through the Middle Ages, even before the Anglican Church existed, you know, mm-hmm. um, or you think about radical service to the poor. M- mostly that's been done by monks and nuns and religious yeah. orders, people like Mother Teresa. Right. Um, 
no, no one would say that Mother Teresa's life is inconsequential. There's something about her that was like a lightning rod and prophetic in so many ways, as is Saint, you know, Saint, uh, Saint Francis and and others. So, yeah, I think this is a long way of saying, Todd, is that the way we talk about this is we just say to people, um, you don't need to join a religious order. We just want to be thinking about the whole pool. And what we, what we do think will happen over time is that some people will just keep getting this invitation to just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's kind of the place that religious orders have held traditionally. Is it yeah. a different, I, I would just say maybe not deeper, but a different kind of commitment mm-hmm. um, yeah. and a different kind of living into this. So. so Jared, if I'm remembering rightly, one of the first conversations you and I ever had is I was trying to create something like a rule of life for, I don't know if it was for a talk or if I was trying to think of it for all my clergy or what. And if I'm remembering correctly, you said to me, well, but Todd, rule of life is by definition something a community does together. You don't actually invent your own and just do it. So having said that, for people who aren't going to be in an order that shares a communal rule of life, what do we mean? Like, what are people hungering for when they say, I, if it's not technically a rule of life, what is that basic hunger you think? Is it for a rhythm of life? Uh, what is it that you think people are hungering for? And if they're not going to be in a community right this now that has a right this second that has a rule, how can they approach that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think one of the ways that we've started talking about this is that what people are really looking for is just a way of life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like something that describes yeah. their life or more so describes the life that they're really longing for. Um, I think we're all, we're all longing for a life um, that is probably slightly different than the one we're actually living. I think that's just, it's just the reality of like part of this work of wanting more than what we're actually able to do. And so I think, um, you know, one some of the work that we are actually are doing to try to recontextualize is we're helping local churches think about what is our, church's way of life together. Mm-hmm. And we can have four or five solid commitments that we practice together um, yeah. that constitute sort of our, our way of life um, that I think are deeper and, you know, maybe thicker than a lot of churches um, are centered around values. Like we have core values, which I think is great. I just think core practices make up a way of life together that ends up doing deeper work than values can do. Yeah. Mm. Good. Yeah. That's so cool. That, yeah, that's awesome. I, as someone who's a church planter and sort of in the process of, you know, putting together like what, what are our practices that that's such an interesting thing to think about. And that's really helpful too, because not only do we want to have values that we're centered around, but we want to have practices too. So that that's really awesome. Um, so we're grateful for your work. We're so grateful mm-hmm. for your ministry and for this fresh vision that you're giving us as church leaders and as Christians sort of encouraging us to think deeply about these practices and how they should form us. And so we wanted to ask you, Jared, what is something that is encouraging you or, or sort of giving you hope as you head into this new year? There's quite a bit, but I think the thing that's coming to my mind right now is there is 
someone who has been a part of the work that we've been doing for the last few years. And he's been in the church for a long time. So he is in his late fifties, early sixties. And when he entered into postulancy, so that's our first formation process. Um, and heard us talking so much about the love of God. Um, he was able to put his finger on the fact that he has never experienced the love of God. Mm. And now he's three years later into formation. And, and I just had a conversation with him last week and he through tears is just like, I, I think I'm finally getting it. I think I'm finally experiencing beautiful the love of God. Um, And he has, there's obviously a whole story around that, but I'm encouraged and hopeful at the very slow work of God. Mm, that God yeah. is relentless in his desire to pour out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's what it's all about. And now mm-hmm. having heard this podcast, what is something that leaders can do next? So beginning to cultivate this sense of awareness of the love of God and what God is doing in their lives. In terms of practice, I would I would start with finding a group of people who you can begin leaning into some practices with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's sort of, you know, not to, not to wave the flag too hard, but that is sort of my book is meant to be a framework yeah, for that work. And totally. so I would just grab a group of people, um, work through the book over the course of, you know, eight to nine months. It's not a quick read. It's not meant to be that. Um, and just practice together a little bit. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a chapter on on marriage and celibacy and and the different kinds of constraints that those two containers hold for us and um, discernment in community. And so there's all sorts of ways that leaders can begin to lean into some of this work. And each chapter has a little cheat sheet for for leaders and how to do that. So it's there for you. Great, Jared. Thank you so much. Thanks yes. for your uh, friendship, not only with me and now with Mickey, but with C4SO and we look forward to what the future holds together. Yeah, as do I. Really grateful, guys. Thank you so much for a wonderful conversation. Thanks so much for tuning in to the C4SO podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to share this episode and subscribe and leave a review. It helps us to get the word out. Thanks.